This morning, we're continuing our series called It's Time. Uh, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 16. And this series, we start around in the middle of the book of John, when at the time when Jesus turns and sets his sight and destination towards the cross. And the time has come for the plan uh, of salvation to be put into effect and for the key events that lead up to the cross and the resurrection to all come to fruition. So it's time is the series, and um, we've been going, and we're going to be going, continuing with it up through Easter. Um, so now we are looking at John chapter 16, uh, starting, uh, we're going to start reading at verse 1. Okay. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue, um, in fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this um, family of families where we can gather together. Thank you for the time of worship. Thank you for your felt presence among us as we share our lives together here. I pray that this morning would be a blessed time. Um, I pray that you would speak through your word. Help me to speak accurately the message that is for the congregation today. And I pray that whatever people need to hear is what they will hear. And that you will help us all to listen to your word, to think thoughts about you and your kingdom, and to respond in obedience. I pray that um, today anyone who's here who needs encouragement, who needs to be um, lifted up out of struggle or out of a dark place, would find the right person to be able to connect to, to speak with, to receive the help that they need. And Lord, I just pray in this time of teaching that you would quiet our hearts, calm us, get us in a mindset ready to listen and to hear. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So I don't know if you guys know or not, there's a, a big event happening later today. Um, I'm guessing that some of you are excited to watch it and some of you less so. I've got my plan all set out. I'm gonna, when the time comes, I'm gonna be in my chair. 
I want to have uh, my snacks, going to have my drink, going to have some pizza, you know, and then I'm just going to be there and I'm going to get a little, feel that excitement, and then I'm going to get ready to cheer when France brings home the gold in ice dancing. <laughs> I know you guys are feeling it. You're feeling the passion. Um, actually, we're going to watch the Bengals take down the Rams, um, but, you know, you have to have priorities. Um, here is what, so here's what I want to see in the, uh, in the Super Bowl. Um, all right, we got somebody excited. Here's what I want to see. I want to see there to be a moment in the game that's going to be a key turning point. Everybody knows this is the play that's going to swing the result one way or the other. This is it. And I want to see them, I want to see the team go in for the huddle, right, and the quarterback to get the call and have just the right play for just the right time. And then I want it to be executed with beautiful choreography, you know, executed to perfection for the play to go just how it's supposed to go. And we all just go, what was that? That was amazing. You know, and we can watch the replay for years. That's what I want to happen in the game. More than I want anyone to win or another to win, I just want to see that plan put in action at just the right time in just the right way. Um, so this portion of the book of John that we're studying, you know, the chapter before this, this chapter, and then up into the next few ones, is basically Jesus pulling his disciples into a huddle and saying, the critical time is here. Here's the plan. Here's what's going to happen. And letting them know, you know what to expect what his part's going to be, what their part's going to be, and what's going to happen. Um, so, he, so if you can picture it going, this happening, Jesus knows it's time for the big plan to go into effect. So he pulls his guys into his huddle, and he says, all right, disciples, uh, the time has come for me to be glorified. And they're like, yes, high five, you know? They're ready. This is time, time for me to be glorified. And here's how it's going to go. I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave you, and then my cell phone's going to ring while I'm preaching. The, uh, I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave you, and then you won't see me for a while, and then you'll see me. But then I'm going to leave you again and go to my Father in heaven. So the disciples, of course, are like, yeah, good plan. No, they're actually like, well, what about us? Right? What happens to us with all you, all this leaving and dying? Uh, so Jesus elaborates. Your job is to stick with me. And after they come after me, then they're going to come after you because of your association with me. Then you will suffer. And if anyone kills you, they're going to think they're doing something good for God. So the disciples, of course, are looking around and uh, hoping for a timeout. But Jesus says, this is a good plan. In fact, this plan is better than any other plans because it's better that I leave you because then I'm going to send a spirit and he'll explain everything to you. So I think it's clear from the scriptures uh, that the disciples were not convinced that this was a good plan, at least not at that time. They may have had some other plans in mind 
that they thought would be better. For example, they may have liked the plan, let's go into Jerusalem, but instead of Jesus dying, we win. Right? And that, that probably sounded like a good plan to them. Uh, they would have liked that. Uh, or maybe I could have even seen them thinking about a less ambitious plan, like, how about we just go home? Um, but Jesus said his plan is better. So this is a, this is a very important question that we're going to discuss for a little bit. Um, is Jesus' plan the best plan? You know, is it the best plan? Now, it, it's easy for us to say, you know, from this distance, looking back, you know, oh, sure, it's the best plan. I learned that in Sunday school. It's the best plan. It's in the Bible. But it's, it's easier to say that, you know, when you think about it being for someone else. But it gets a little harder to support this plan that Jesus has when we realize that this is still the plan. And that the question of faith that we, not the disciples, we are going to face in our own lives is are we going to follow Jesus' plan or are we going to look for a different or improved plan? Are we going to look for other things that might give Jesus a little help, right, that we think need to get added in? Are we, are we going to look for an improved or different plan that seems better by our judgment? So I'm going to talk about three specific alternate plans, uh, which were actually presented to Jesus in the scriptures, uh, but that he rejected, so that we can challenge ourselves to also reject those same plans and commit ourselves to following Jesus' plan. All right, so these three alternate plans can be found uh, way back at the beginning of uh, Jesus' ministry. Uh, they're in Luke chapter 4. I'm going to have them all on the screen, but you're welcome to look them up in your Bible if you would prefer. Um, so Jesus uh, was baptized by John the Baptist, and then he went out into the wilderness uh, where he fasted for 40 days. And then we can see in this verse that there are some alternate plans that Satan, of all people, presented to Jesus. So... Um, let's look at them. This is alternate plan number one, Luke 4, 1 to 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So this is alternate plan number one. Turn this stone to bread. Doesn't it seem that it might have been a good plan, instead of Jesus dying, for him to bring salvation by giving people what they need and want? Just eat, drink, be happy, and everything is great. And when the time came for Jesus to glorify himself, Instead of turning towards the cross, he could have done so by revealing himself to be the great giver, the fulfiller of every desire. And everyone could just get everything they want. But a little thought, and thinking back to the scriptures, will show us that this plan will not work. Feeding those who are in need is good, but it is not enough. Many very well-fed, rich people who have everything that they want are lost in meaningless lives. 
The Israelites complained when they received food from heaven. After Jesus fed the 5,000, many just followed him around hoping for another free lunch. And if Jesus gave everyone what they want, we wouldn't last a single day until what one of us would want would be kill that guy, hurt those people, because our hearts are evil. This plan will not work. Jesus' plan is much better. Instead of turning a stone to bread, he gives us his own flesh to eat as the bread of life, broken for us and the wine of his blood to drink, spilled for the forgiveness of sins. And then he calls us to hold out these same gifts to the whole world, offering food and drink that doesn't just sustain life, but that springs up as a well of life in formerly dead hearts. Only then can hunger truly be satisfied and thirst truly quenched. So I think we can see that Jesus' plan is better than this alternate plan. Right? So let's look at the second one, second alternate plan. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So if the alternate plans, uh, so of the alternate plans, which we can compare to Jesus' plan, the one that has probably been the biggest struggle for Christians throughout history is this one. The alternate plan to find salvation through authority and power. The desire to be in charge, to be in control. A key turning point in Christian history is when in the year 312, the Roman Emperor Constantine claimed to see a vision of the cross in the sky, and below it the words, in this sign you shall conquer. This eventually led to Constantine favoring Christians within the Roman Empire and changing the church drastically by bringing it into the realm of political, worldly, and even military power. It was good to have relief from persecution, but it was at the cost of losing touch with a critical teaching of Jesus that his kingdom is not of this world. Satan could not crush the church by persecution. Instead, it thrived. So instead, he had the much better tactic of giving the church a chance to sit in his seat, to join his team and be the persecutor for a little while. If Jesus is our king, and his kingdom is not of this world, do we really think that his plan is going to be accomplished by the exercise of worldly power? Especially by worldly power in its most vicious forms. War, torture, imprisonment, brutality. But history has shown that when Christians have been given worldly power, those are the exact things that we have done. That's because worldly power is not Jesus' plan. His plan was not to be glorified by sitting on the throne of Caesar or being elected into the Oval Office. His plan was to be glorified through suffering and death on the cross and to be crowned with thorns, demonstrating once and for all what real power is. Not only did he reject Satan's plan of worldly power, but by following his better plan, he disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So where's Herod now? Where's Caesar? 
Where's Pontius Pilate? Where are all the other wannabe big shots who lick the boots of whoever is one step up the chain so that they can have some power? We only know their names because they had something to do with Jesus. And he had none of their version of power. But who was enthroned on the cross and is my king? Not because I'm afraid of him, but because I love him. Jesus' plan is better, and no servant is better than his master. So this is our plan too. Here's the third plan that Satan proposed to Jesus. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The deal that, uh, you know, that the devil is offering Jesus here a satanic version of freedom. The freedom to do whatever you want with no consequences. And I think that the key feature of this plan was the location. The main point being that if Jesus jumped off the temple and angels came to rescue him, that it would be a big spectacle that everyone would see. The alternative plan is to take a shortcut to fame that skips the pain. Jesus definitely is famous, uh, probably the most famous person that's ever lived. But the path that he took to fame was through the path of the cross. Satan was saying to him, let's follow my plan and we can get the fame, but without the pain. Instead, when Jesus said to his disciples, the time has come for me to be glorified, he was talking about the cross specifically. This is no plan that we would ever come up with, but I'm so thankful that Jesus knew better than any of us ever could. And we all should know that real glory is the cross of Jesus. Before the cross, we had some good ideas of what God was like. But on the cross, the veil was pulled back, revealing the very heart and nature of God as a lover who suffers for the benefit of the beloved. All other fame and all other famous people just fall out of attention in the light of that kind of glory. So I feel confident saying that Jesus' plan was better than these three alternate plans. And this is good news to us because we are still being tempted in our time uh, to look at and to follow these other plans. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes we're falling short. So consider, in our world, just looking around us, consider the popularity of certain Christian preachers who con people out of their money and time in false promises of a gospel that's, meant to about, that's all about making people rich. Or consider people who take uh, quack medical ideas or get-rich-quick schemes or pyramid schemes and dress them up in Christian clothes. This is nothing more than trying to substitute a false gospel of turning stones to bread for the, in exchange for the real gospel. And many people are hurt very badly by these things. Or consider the way that so many of us get swept up so emotionally in the news of the day and the twistings and turnings and the ever-present question, who's going to get the power? Who's going to get the power? And, the, and consider the call to arms that Christians are often given, and even the admonition to be prepared to fight our neighbors. 
These are just today's manifestations of the old satanic plan that offers power as an alternative salvation plan instead of faith in Jesus. Or consider what goes on in our time to get more clicks, comments, likes, views, follows, subs, tweets, retweets, or whatever. The desire for fame, attention, and affirmation that means so much in our attention economy, but which actually delivers so little to the people involved who are looking for true friendship, connection, and meaning, but not finding it. This is another version of Satan's plan that tried to sell to Jesus to get the fame and skip the pain. So can we agree that Jesus' plan is better? Silence? All right. All right, now I'm going to ask much more specifically. Is it better to follow Jesus' plan than to get what we want? Easy to say yes. Much harder when life asks you the question for real. Is it better to follow Jesus than to get power? Better to follow him than to get fame? When you realize that these alternate plans are still being presented to us day by day in direct competition and are not compatible with Jesus' plan, then choosing to follow him can become more difficult. So let us consider and recommit ourselves to turning away from these plans of Satan and embracing the better plan of Jesus. So, just think for a second. Now that that's settled, all right, let's move on to a discussion about how Jesus planned for us to be able to follow his plan, and that is by the Holy Spirit. So let's look back at this verse we read earlier. This is actually starting at verse 8. Uh, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. When we think about the Holy Spirit, we have a tendency to think about him on a very personal level. We think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, personal experiences and char character traits that the Holy Spirit grows in us. We think about the assurance of salvation that we experience as the Spirit testifies to our spirits that we are the children of God. We may also think about the strength to obedience that the Spirit gives us and the comfort that we receive from the Spirit when we face various trials. We worship and praise the Holy Spirit for all of these personal experiences that we have and in, but in these verses, what Jesus is emphasizing is a public work of the Holy Spirit, that he will prove the world to be in the wrong, that he will correct or that he will rebuke the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
So when he says he will prove the world to be wrong or he'll rebuke the world, what do we mean by the world? In this context, we're talking about the systems and ways of life which exist in opposition to the kingdom of heaven. The world is the community, systems, and values that arise out of the lives, teachings, and relations between people who are living without God. So Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would prove the world to be wrong regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what ideas does the world have about sin, righteousness, and judgment that the Holy Spirit proves to be wrong? There are, there are probably hundreds of these, but I just thought of a few to discuss briefly. Um, so the first one is, it's all about me. Right? It's all about me. The world imagines that we have the right and the ability to decide what is sin and what is not, and that we have the strength to do what is right based on our own judgment. The Holy Spirit proves the world to be wrong about this by revealing that even our own good works by worldly standards only lead to futility and frustration. This is because we are enslaved to a system of sin which is both inside us and outside of us. Then the Holy Spirit reveals to us Jesus Christ and how he opened up a path of salvation, both for the individual by faith and for the community by the way of life that he taught. Um, the, second, uh, the second idea I had about what the world is wrong about, about sin, righteousness, and judgment, is that this idea that the ends justify the means. This is another wrong idea that the world has. The world teaches that it is useful to do evil for a time if it will lead to a good outcome. This teaching even infiltrates the church at times, as we will see dishonesty or cover-ups for evil sometimes being accepted because of the idea that a greater good is being served. But the Holy Spirit proves this to be wrong because all outcomes are in God's hands. And the Spirit moves unpredictably, uh, keeping it ever clear to us that it is God who is in control. God does not need anything from us at all, but in mercy chooses to include us in his works. Our role is to obey the teachings of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the Father's plan. If my community or nation thinks that some good will be accomplished by doing evil, we need to and will be proved wrong by the Holy Spirit. If I personally think that I'm accomplishing some greater good by for now lying, cheating, hating, judging, condemning in service of some greater good, I need the Holy Spirit to set me straight. We are called to look beyond potential bad outcomes from following God's plan and to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly because all outcomes are always in his hands. The third wrong idea about sin, righteousness, and judgment that I want to point out is this idea of condemnation. The world is oddly both accepting of sin in some ways and also really into condemnation. The way that this usually works is that if someone sins who is on my side or who is useful to me, then it is justified as not so bad. But if someone sins who is on the other side or who is not useful to me, 
then they must be condemned and harshly. The same double standard works inwardly. At one moment, a sinful behavior seems useful to me, so I justify it. But then when that usefulness has passed, I become self-condemned. The end result of this system is that everyone is condemned, both by others and by themselves. Praise God that we are delivered from that system by the Holy Spirit, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So these are just some of the ways that the world is wrong uh, about sin, righteousness, and judgment. But praise the Holy Spirit. He is proving the world to be wrong and revealing the hope that is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So I'd like to make just one more brief observation about the Holy Spirit in closing. And I guess this isn't really a teaching. It's just more of a meditation on this Holy Spirit. Um, Observe in these passages that we read, and you'll see it in other passages through John that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Notice the high honor and the way that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Right? Now we're talking about, we're talking about Jesus here. Right? And think about all the things that he did and was capable of doing. And he says, you know what's better for me to go so the Holy Spirit can come. That's a very high honor that Jesus holds the Holy Spirit in, and a high respect. And there, you know, there's this idea that theologians talk about, they call it the equality of honor. And you can see it as you read the scriptures, if you're looking for it, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when they get a chance to speak, they hold one another in high honor you know, because of their role in the Godhead. As Jesus was walking down the path toward his own death and resurrection, he did so in obedience to the Father's plan and by the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit. The interrelationship of these three persons, in one essence, is a deep mystery that we cannot penetrate, but we can observe it and worship. Jesus said, it is better for me to leave you and for the Spirit to come. I'm sure that we have all wished at times that Jesus was here. But Jesus said, it's better that the Spirit is here. I think that we need to remember that high honor in which Jesus holds the Holy Spirit and that it could be a good guide for us in how we operate and live within the Spirit's presence in this age. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we confess to you that we are in our own hearts affected by the wrong ideas about sin, righteousness, and judgment that come from the world. And Lord, we need you to come to us and to correct us. Lord, from a loving God, that pure love that's revealed when Jesus was glorified on the cross, from a God of that kind of love, that kind of affection and self-sacrificing, deep 
caring for your creation. We welcome judgment from you, Lord. To be judged by a God who loves like that, who is faithful like that, can only be a good thing. And Lord, whatever is within us or within our community, which is wrong or which is justifying or accepting sin or is uh, somehow not conforming to your plan but is still looking to worldly plans, Lord, correct us, rebuke us, show us, demonstrate to us that we're wrong and heal our very uh, minds and hearts so that we desire instead what's holy, what's righteous, and what is good by your plan as you demonstrated on the cross and in your resurrection. Holy Spirit, thank you for your constant presence in our lives as believers and the many works that you're doing. And as we look in the world around us and we look even in our own church and our own families, if we have eyes to see, we can see the Holy Spirit at work everywhere, showing people error, showing, bringing convictings of sin, leading people to Jesus, glorifying the name of the Son and of the Father. And Lord, we just are so thankful that by your mercy, you give us a role to play. And Father, please inspire us, fill us through your Son, through the Spirit. Show us the plan. Lead us in obedience joyfully, filled with thanksgiving, so that we can serve you and be fruitful through the Spirit in our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.